Welcome back, Hemming Brainiacs, to the Hemming Brainiac List podcast. The podcast where we do things the Brainiac way. Talking about Book 2, Chapter 33 of The Red and the Black. Swim said the mama fish, she said, What's interesting to me is how resourceful both Louise and Matilda are. Uh, I would have loved to have seen you elaborate on that a little bit. Because I'm not sure. I mean, they are resourceful, but I don't know what exactly you're referring to there. Laura Weistich said, The Marquis calls Julian to him. Our hero was astonished. Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Marquis... He's just found out that he's knocked up his daughter and they're getting married and running away. And the hero is astonished that the father wants to speak to him about that. Yeah, that's a bit funny. Jan Brunt said, Julian just can't help fall, uh, failing upwards. He has to be the luckiest man in France. Yep. Said swims at the mama fishy. Felix Culpa, right? I've said this before. I've said it again. Um, a fortunate fall or lucky. Um, lucky fall. Failing upwards. It's kind of the theme of this whole book, isn't it? Um, Alright, sorry. Getting distracted already. My god, I'm bad at podcasting. Chapter 34 is called A Man of Intelligence. Very short conversation today, so let's get moving. The prefect, coursing along the highway on his steed, said to himself, Why shouldn't I become minister, president of the council, a duke? Here's how I'd wage war. This is the way I'd put innovations in irons. The globe. (coughs) Excuse me. No amount of argument can dissolve the power of ten years agreeable reverie. The Marquise could not think it rational to be angry, but could not bring himself to forgive. If only he would occasionally say to himself, this Julian could accidentally die. By such means, his downcast spirit found scraps of comfort in the most ridiculous of chimeras, and these neutralised the effect of Abe Pirard's wise counsel. So a month went by without the negotiations moving forward a single step. In this family affair... As in politics, the Marquise had brilliant insights that for three days would fill him with enthusiasm. At such times, the appeal of a plan of conduct was not that it was backed by good arguments. Rather, the arguments were good in his eyes only so far as they supported the favoured plan. For three whole days, he would strive with all the ardour and enthusiasm of a poet to lead things to a certain point. The next day, he would not give the matter another thought. At first, the Marquise's slow proceedings disconcerted Julian, but after a few weeks he began to divine that, in this affair, Monsieur de la Mole had no definite plan. Madame de la Mole and the rest of the household believed that Julian was travelling in the provinces, administering estates. He concealed himself in Abe Perard's presbytery and saw Matilda nearly every day. She would spend an hour with her father every morning, but sometimes... They went whole weeks without mentioning the affair that preoccupied them both entirely. I have no desire to know where that fellow is, said the Marquise one day, but convey this letter to him, Matilda read. The estates in Langdoc yield to 20,600 francs. I give 10,600 francs to my daughter and 10,000 francs to Monsieur Julien Sorel. Be it understood that I give the estates themselves. Instruct the notary to draw up two separate deeds of gift and to bring them to me tomorrow, after which no more relations between us are monsieur could I have foreseen this. 
Marquise de la Mole. Thank you very much, said Matilda gaily. We will go and settle at the chateau at Aguilon between Ajin and Marmandi. They say the countryside there is as beautiful as it is in Italy. Mm, Italy. Where am I? I just lost my place. As it is in Italy. There. The gift... The gift greatly surprised Julian. He was no longer... Sorry, I'm getting distracted here. Just let me attend to something. Alright, distraction over. (laughs) Sorry about that. The gift greatly surprised Julian. He was no longer the severe and cold individual that we have known. The destiny of his son consumed all his thoughts for the future. This unexpected fortune, quite considerable for so poor a man, made him ambitious about it. He envisioned himself as having between his wife and himself an income of 36,000 livres. As for Matilda, all her feelings were taken up with adoration of her husband. For such in her pride she always called Julian. Her great, her sole ambition was to have her marriage recognised. She spent her days exaggerating the high foresight she had shown in linking her fate to that of a so superior a man in her mind personal merit was the fashion now the almost continuous separation the multiplicity of things to be done the little time left to talk of love all combined to crown the good effects of the wise policy formerly initiated by julian matilda ended by growing impatient at seeing so little of the man she had so genuinely come to love in a moment of irritation she wrote to her father starting her letter like othello that I have preferred Julian to the delights that society offered Monsieur de la Mole's daughter, my choice sufficiently proves. Those pleasures of prestige and petty vanity are nothing to me. Observe that soon I will have lived separately from my husband for six weeks. That is enough to demonstrate my respect for you. By the coming Thursday I shall quit the paternal roof. Your generosity has made us rich. No one but the estimable Abe Pirard knows my secret. I shall go to his house, he will marry us, and an hour after the ceremony we will be on the road for Languedoc, and will never reappear in Paris unless you order it. But what cuts me to the heart is that all this could make a succulent piece of scandal to use against me and against you. The epigrams of a stupid public, might not they force our excellent Norbert to seek a quarrel with Julian? Should that happen, I know him. I would have no control over him at all. We would discover in that soul the outrage of an incensed plebeian. O oh, father, I beg you on my knees, come to attend my wedding next Thursday at Monsieur Perard's church. The point of any spiteful stories would be blunted and the life of your only son and that of my husband would be preserved, etc., etc. This letter threw the Marquis's soul into an unfamiliar state of confusion, so at last he must come down on one side or the other. All his little habits, all his commonplace friends ceased to influence him. In these troubled circumstances, the ruling features of his character, imprinted in him by the events of his youth, regained all their power. The miseries, the mis- miseries of the emigration made, had made him a man of imagination. After having rejoiced for two years in an immense fortune, as well as all the distinctions conferred by the court, the events of 1790 had cast him into the terrible hardships of the emigration. This harsh school had transformed his 22-year-old soul. In his depths, 
He felt himself as transient, camping temporarily in the midst of his current wealth rather than as a being determined by it. Yet the very same imagination that saved him from suffering the cankers of wealth had left him prey to the foolish obsession of seeing his daughter embellished by a grand title. At times, in the six weeks just past, the Marquis, impelled by caprice, had wanted to make Julian rich. Poverty seemed to him base, dishonouring to him. Monsieur de la Mole imposed for the husband of his daughter. He threw money at it. The next day, his mind taking another course, it seemed to him that Julian would understand the mute language of financial largesse, change his name, exile himself to America, and write to Matilda that he was dead to her. Monsieur de la Mole would imagine this letter as already having been written, and start to calculate its effect on his daughter's character. The day that Matilda actu Matilda's actual letter dragged him from such callow dreams, he, having thought for a long time of killing Julian or making him disappear, dreamed of building up a brilliant fortune for him. He was already making him take the name of one of his own estates, so why not pass his peerage on to him? Monsieur le Duc de Chaulnes, Chaulnes his father-in-law, had spoken to him several times since his only son had been killed in Spain, of a wish to transmit his own title to Norbert. One cannot deny Julian a singular aptitude for business, daring perhaps even a touch of brilliance, said the Marquis to himself, but at the core of his character I find something frightening. That's the impression he makes on everybody, so it makes so it must have some substance. The more difficult this substance was to grasp, the more it troubled the old nobleman's, nobleman's imaginative nature. My daughter said to me very aptly the other day, in a letter that has been suppressed, Julian has not affiliated himself to any salon, to any coterie. So, he has not provided himself with any support against me, not the smallest thing to fall back on if I abandon him. But it's that out of an ignorance of the real nature of society. I have told him, two or three times, there is no real or profitable advancement except through the salons. No, he does not have the cunning genius of a sharp little lawyer, who lets slip neither moment nor opportunity, not at all a character like Louis Eleven. On the other hand, the maxims I notice him using are the reverse of generous, I am lost here. Does he repeat such maxims to serve as a dam to his passions? Anyway, one thing emerges plainly, he cannot stand contempt, I've got him there. He has no veneration for high birth, it is true, there's no instinctive respect for us, that's a fault, but even so, the seminarist's soul is usually offended only by a lack of gratification and money. He, a very different kind, he cannot abide scorn at any price. Given a sense of urgency by his daughter's letter, Monsieur de la Mole saw the necessity to, of making a decision. In the end, the big question is, has Julian been impudent enough to dare pay court to my daughter because he knows I love her more than the world and that I have an income of a 100,000 ecus? Matilda's protests to the contrary, no little Monsieur Julian, this is a point on which I am determined to allow myself no illusions. Is it true love completely spontaneous, or is it rather a vulgar ambition to get on so highly in the world? Matilda is clear-sighted, she has sensed from the first that such a suspicion could ruin him with me, and hence the avowal that is that it was she who first realised herself in love. A girl with so haughty a temperament forgot herself so far as to make material advances, to squeeze his arm in the garden one evening, ah, as if she had not a hundred more delicate ways to let him know she favoured him. Quis excuses accuse, I don't trust Matilda. On this particular occasion, the Marquis's reasoning were more conclusive than usual. Nevertheless, habit prevailing, he described, sorry, he decided to gain time by writing to his daughter, 
At that time, letters were being written from one side of the hotel to the other. Monsieur de la Mole was not venturing to argue with Matilda face to face. He was afraid of cutting everything short by a sudden concession. Letter. Beware of committing further follies. Here is a lieutenant's commission in the hussars of Monsieur le Chevalier Julien Sorel de la Mauvernier. You see what I am doing for him. Don't oppose me, don't question me. He must leave in 24 hours to report to Strasbourg, where his regiment is stationed. I enclose an order on my banker. I must be obeyed. Matilda's love and joy were boundless. She wanted to profit by victory, and immediately wrote back, Monsieur de la Verme would be at your feet, senseless with gratitude, if he knew all you have condescended to do for him. Yet in the midst of this generosity, my father forgets me. Your daughter's honour is in danger. A single indiscretion could become an eternal stain that an income of 20,000 yukus could never erase. I shall decline to send the commission to Monsieur de la Vernier, unless you give me your word that within the coming month my marriage will be publicly celebrated at Villaquia. Shortly after that time, which I beg you not to exceed, your daughter will be able to appear in public only under the name of Madame de la Vernet. How I thank you, dear father, for having rescued me from the name of Sorel, etc., etc. The response was unexpected. Obey, or I'll take everything back. Tremble, rash girl. I still do not know what manner of man your Julian is, and you yourself know less than I. He must leave for Strasbourg, and take care he does not put a foot wrong. I shall make my wishes known within the fortnight. So firm an answer amazed Matilda. I don't know, do not know Julian. These words threw her into a reverie that soon produced the most enchanting suppositions, though she thought them true. My Julian's spirit does not wear the mean little uniform of the salons, and my father cannot believe in his superiority precisely because of that which demonstrates it all. It. Sorry. All the same, if I don't obey this typical little whim of his, I can see the possibility of a public quarrel. Any kind of scandal would lower my position in society and could make me less attractive to Julian. And after a scandal, ten years of poverty, yet only the most glittering opulence can rescue me from ridicule for the oddity of choosing a husband on merit. If I live at a distance from my father, he, at his age, might forget me. Norbert would marry an attractive woman, someone clever, the aging Louis fourteen was seduced by the Duchess of Bourgogne. She decided to obey, but was careful not to tell Julian of her father's letter. His fierce temperament might drive him to some rash act. When she informed Julian that evening that he was a lieutenant of Hussars, his joy was boundless. One may conceive of it by remembering that this was his life's ambition, and by considering also the passion that he now had for his son. The transformation of his name struck him with astonishment. Well, after all, thought he, my romance is at an end, and credit to me alone, I have been able to make myself loved by this monstrously proud being, he added, glancing at Matilda. Her father cannot live without her, nor she without me. All right, there we go. That's that chapter done. Red put behind us. Have your say at the subreddit. Thanks for listening, and I will see you tomorrow.